Francine, bringing you more reviews, recaps, and rants on all your favorite K-dramas. This is Drama Buds, an anime podcast. So hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of Drama Buds, and welcome to 2024, our very first episode for this year. Once again, I'm doing the year-end awards for all the dramas I watched last year, which honestly is a bit disappointing for me. I only watched 27 dramas, and of those 27, 17 of them were released last year. So of the, I think we reached hundreds of dramas that were released in 2023, I only watched 17. And that makes me sad. Uh, Mostly because I feel like there really is an oversaturation problem with K-dramas nowadays. And I remember reading from, I think actor Iso Jin said this. Uh, Please correct me if I'm wrong. But he said something like, back then, when a drama was airing, it was an event. Like, everyone was watching the same thing. Everyone was talking about it throughout the week. But because of all these new channels and all the new streaming platforms, and there's so many dramas nonstop, Consumers are tired, audiences are tired, and they have to pick and choose which ones they watch. So, you know, as usual, we thought having this variety would be great for us as audiences. And instead, it feels exhausting. And it's sad that I can't keep up with everything. And I don't feel that there are big event dramas anymore. You know, like a drama where everyone's tuned in. That's quite rare nowadays. Despite all the people on Twitter I see watching so many different things, there's not this one K-drama that everyone's watching at the same time the way they used to before. However, some of those, some of the few event dramas this year, I definitely was there for them. So now let's start with the awarding ceremony of my Best Actor, Actress, Best Squad, Best Chemistry, Best Couple, Best Music, Best Director, some special awards, and my top 15 dramas of 2023. So if you don't know my system of how I decide these year-end awards... I just set the categories at the start of the year and I take notes on who I think should be nominated as I'm watching. And with a lot of these, I struggled to get more than one nominee. Maybe because I wasn't watching as many great dramas or I wasn't as invested. Yeah, for the most part, that's how I do my awards. Let's start with Best Actor. So our nominees are Ido Yoon as Choi Kang Ho in The Good Bad Mother. Jong Hae-in as Anjun Ho in DP2, Nam Gung Min as Lee Jang Yoon in My Dearest, and Kim Jae Wook as Choi Yoon in The Guest. Now one by one, okay, Ido Yoon in The Good Bad Mother, it's it's tough to pull off to be able to show both the cold side and this childlike side of Kaho and Ido Yoon's personal image and just his acting talent, perfect for the role. I don't think anyone else really could have pulled it off as well as he did. It's it's a tough role. It's just such a difficult role. Jung Hae-in in the second season of DP. Now, to be honest, DP2 wasn't my favorite. I didn't rate it so highly after thinking about it some more. But I think Anjun Ho as a character got a lot deeper. And Jung Hae-in was really able to showcase his acting a lot more than he was already able to in season one. 
Like, I think Anjun Ho's character really became a full round character by the end of the two seasons. And Jung Hae-in portrayed that really, really well. Kim Jae-wook as uh, Father Matthew in The Guest, aside from being incredibly hot, <laughs> aside from being hot priest in K-drama version, um, no, I just, I enjoy seeing characters in a lot of pain. <laughs> and he just seemed like a very tortured human being. And Kim Jae-wook portrayed that so well. But the winner, obviously, obviously must be Nam Gung-min as Lee Jang-yoon in My Dearest. I mean, Lee Jang-yoon is a showcase of everything that we already knew Nam Gung-min was capable of. But take it to another level. If you thought he was funny, he could be even funnier. If you thought he could be intense, he could be even more intense. If you thought he could be a romantic lead, oh my god, what a romantic lead. I don't want to make like Beksang predictions this early, and especially given that I've only watched 17 of the dramas released this year. But I think he's, for me, top contender for best actor in Beksang. Like, really, Lee Jang Yun is everything that we know Nam Gung Min can do, but just take it up like five notches higher than you already thought you saw from him. And like, Nam Gung Min is an actor. Now that I'm also rewatching Hot Stove League very slowly, he commands the screen. Like, that man has pure screen presence. When he's on that screen, you're watching him, no one else. I made the same comment in One Dollar Lawyer, right? Last year, where it's like, if Nam Gung Min is here, you are watching him. And the scene will only progress the way he wants it to. He acts at his own pace and leads scenes really well. Like, I feel like everyone around him takes their energy from him and how he directs the scene. I don't know how to explain it, but just there's just something about Nam Gung Min's screen presence that I, I think he commands the screen. And I adore him. Oh, yeah. He's my best actor, even in the Beksang. When he gets nominated, I will be rooting for him. Next up for Best Actress, our nominees are Rami Ran as Jin Yong Soon in The Good Bad Mother, Shin Ye Soon as Ban Ji Um in See Yoon My 19th Life, Han Yo Ju as Lee Mi Yoon in Moving, and Anun Jin as Yu Gil Che in My Dearest. Let's get Shin Ye Soon out of the way because I didn't finish See Yoon My 19th Life. But uh, the thing with Shin Ye Soon is that you know she's always doing her best. You know, like, this is the best basically anyone can do with whatever role she is taken. But the material itself is what hinders her. And yeah, see, in my 19th life, I couldn't get past episode 7 or episode 8. It just nosedived in quality and they were making so many jumps with the plot and with the characters that I didn't understand. Wait, at what point were you two in love enough to start kissing? Like, where'd that come from? You know, the first kiss between two characters should be a big moment. And I really, I was confused. I was confused as to how we got to the point where they already liked each other enough to even kiss. Yeah, that's just one example. But in general, uh, the show really lost me. But Shin Hesun, I know for a fact she was doing her very best with the material, but that was the material. Ramiran as Jin Yong-soon in The Good Bad Mother. Similar comments to Ido Yoon. I mean, it was just a tough role. It demanded so much emotion, intense emotion from her. Genuinely a difficult watch, a difficult performance. And she did great. Han Yo-ju in Moving is an example of, you know, subtle delivery 
that fits the character. I mean, obviously, Imi Yun was not a very expressive character. But even with what little emotion she was you know, able to express given all her secrets and her general demeanor. And then she had her big moments as well. Like I, I just think Han Yoju carried her with so much grace and poise, which was perfect for the character. I mean, she was just perfect as Imi Yun. But the winner, of course, it must be An Unjin as Yu Gilche in my dearest. And like, she is my female character of the year. The journey that she has been through, the growth that An Unjin portrayed. I think the character started at yeah, maybe 18 or something years old. And I think the show spanned like over 10 years. And she carried, you know, that journey with her. From this naive girl in Nungunri to uh, you know, to a madam, to a lady, to a powerful person who sacrificed and suffered so much to now be with her beloved. I mean, I'm also placing my bets that Anun Jin will be a Best Actress nominee in Beksang next year. And I'm putting my vote for her. I am just rooting for both Nam Gumin and Anun Jin. I just think they delivered performances of their lifetimes in, in My Dearest. Now, for Best Supporting Actor and Actress, I couldn't even come up with more than one nominee. Uh, I guess, yeah, I wasn't paying attention to a lot of side characters or supporting characters. But uh, Best Supporting Actor is Udo Wan as Sok Dong Chul in Save Me. You could argue that he's a lead. You could argue he's Best Actor. But I, I guess he's Supporting Actor. And what can we say about Udo Wan? Once again, I always think he's the Best Actor in most rooms that he walks into. And just like Shin Hesun, he does his very best with the material he's given. Sometimes he's given very good material. I think Save Me gave him a lot to work with. He was the most interesting character by far there. And also in uh, My Country, The New Age, where I discovered him. When he is given good material, he can turn it to great material. But he's not one of those actors whose taste I trust. And so, you know, in the rare times I get to watch him, oh, I'm glad I'm watching him. And Best Supporting Actress, my only nominee and my winner is Anun Jin as Imi in The Good Bad Mother. What a year for Anun Jin. Like, genuinely, I've always liked her since Hospital Playlist, since Chuminha. And, you know, she showed even more sides of herself this year and is now definitely lead actress material. More than that, has always been lead actress material. But even as Imi by far one of the most interesting characters in the show and easy to root for, unlike uh, Yong Soon, who's very, very difficult to root for, I think Miju and the kids and her relationship with Kang Ho made The Good Bad Mother a lot easier to watch because there was someone who you just so clearly rooted for and wanted to be happy. And Anun Jin, as always, captured my heart. I love her. And she's definitely one of those actresses who I am looking forward to and I'm rooting for her to get the roles that deserve the talent and the, the passion and the skill that she is able to deliver. So our next award is Best Squad. So I'll just talk about the nominees one by one and then end with the winner. Um, first nominee was the DP2 squad, which uh, definitely felt more like a squad this season than they did in the first season. We don't talk about Imjisop's sudden character change. Uh, hey, 
suddenly he's a decent guy now. And that really honestly came out of nowhere. But hey, he was more fun. And Sonsoku is always fun to watch. So because they made his character a lot more likable, they gave him a backstory that we actually got to explore. They all gelled together, like the whole squad. Uh, next best squad is the My Dearest Ladies. Oh my goodness. They were together more in the first half of the show. The way Gilche and Une, you know, struggled with their maidservants and survived everything together. Oh, I loved and adored them. But for me, best squad that I discovered was the main trio of the guests. And I've always heard of them being a great squad. Like even off cam, uh, Kim Dong-wook, Kim Jae-wook, and Jong eun seem like really great friends for a show that was so dark and violent and scary. They seem to just have a great time together off screen. It's a fated childhood connection among three people who hated each other and didn't trust each other at different points in the show and eventually just knew that we are the only people who can solve this mystery and save each other and, you know, bring closure to all the pain you've gone through. Please listen to my The Guest uh, review for Halloween. I actually do feel like a passionate love for that show. I kind of really missed it. The moment that I finished it, I wanted to watch it again, which is a very rare feeling. Great show. Okay, next award is Best Chemistry, which is different from the Best Couple Award. So Best Chemistry is the actors, Best Couple, the characters. First, let's do Best Chemistry. I put King the Land couple here. I put Imuna and Lee Junho here. Even though I didn't finish the show because, yeah, they did display good chemistry. I also nominated uh, Jung Hain and Son Ye Jin for Something in the Rain. And Gum Serok and No Sang Yun for soundtrack number two. But my winner is Mother Han Yoju and Father Jo Sung for moving their flashback episode. What little we got from them, that's real romance, okay? I love good slow burn, pining, you know, distant stares across the hallway. Ah, <laughs> that's mother and father for me. We also got, you know, domestic countryside life for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, great chemistry. I love that for them. Now, best couple. We have quite a lot. So we have Call It Love Main Couple. We have The Good Bad Mother, Choi Kang-ho and Lee Min-ju. We have Not Others, uh, Jae-won and Jin-hee. For moving, we have both Hee-soo and Bong-sok and Kim Do-shik and Lee Mi-yoon. What can I say? That's mother and father. <laughs> and for my dearest, I also put Lee Jang-yoon and Yu Gil-che. Actually, you know what? I also put best chemistry for Nam Gung-min and An Eun-jin. Well, they've just, they're have just they just in every award. What can I do? Um, Because they also displayed good chemistry that I honestly didn't expect. Like, seeing them as actors, knowing them before this, I didn't think there would be chemistry. But because the acting was so good, they sold their characters so well that, you know, despite everything, to me, they're still best couple worthy. Yeah, that's chemistry. Just great acting is also great chemistry. What can we say? But my winner, I mentioned this already in my Q4 recap. My winner for best couple, Castaway Diva, Jonkiho and Somoka. I mean, the story that they told, you know, these two children who just wanted to get away from their abusive fathers, who, you know, just wanted to dream again and, you know, lost each other and eventually found each other and continued to protect and dream alongside each other. Oh, Kiho and Moka, like, there's just no beating them this year. I adored them. They were definitely the best part of Castaway Diva to me because they were the beating heart of the show. Really, I have to say, like, 
Mokha and her dream, and Mokha and Ranju. Eventually, kind of that relationship kind of weakened, and it was Kiho and Mokha, at least for me, towards the start and middle that really drove the best parts of the show. Okay, these categories kind of make me sad because this was not a good K-drama OST year for me. I didn't save any new songs uh, in my Spotify rap. My highest K-drama OST is freaking my spring from my Liberation Notes, okay? So yeah, I really don't have much to say in terms of best OSTs. In terms of dramas with good songs, King of the Land had good songs. Castaway Diva is the only one that I kind of religiously, you know, looked forward to the releases every week because Park Unbin was singing on a lot of them. Uh, and my favorite OST song this year, oh, it's Dream Us by Park Unbin. I think I like the acoustic version more than the original version. But for best score, oh, I really love the score of Moving, although they never officially released it, right? I, I really love the techno sound of it and just the whole experience of moving. Everything about moving was just stunning and, and the music added to that. For me, the winner of best score, I'd say, is My Dearest. Because even just uh, the clip I played earlier, Afternoon Lady 3, I remember as I was writing the midpoint recap for that and listening to the score, I felt the emotions. And that's my favorite part about instrumental music. It's that you know what kind of scenes this, uh, this score would play in. Right now, I'll play uh, Lyrical, another score of theirs. It gives me the feeling of um, when you're watching a musical and after the intermission and they play this, do you call it an interlude or something? Leading up to the first major <laughs> song after the intermission. It just feels like a post-intermission song. If you've watched musicals, you know what I mean. But yeah, Moving and My Dearest both have really epic musical scores. I think My Dearest just because, you know, it was available to stream, I could go back and listen and feel that, oh man, this is that song that they play whenever Jang Yun and Gilche have an angsty moment or when they see each other again for the first time and, you know, all these magical emotions. Oh, My Dearest. And next category is Best Director. So the nominees are Mask Girl, which I thought was better directed than it was written. <laughs> I think it was more well-made than it was actually good in itself. I also nominated The Guest, which I think horror is already difficult for an hour and a half movie. What more for a 16-hour drama? The Guest was creepy and scary. It was so, so, so stylistic with the use of like neon lights and colors. Gorgeous overall. And I also nominate Daily Dose of Sunshine, which once again, I think the directing helped in not making it so uh, stereotypical, you know, mental health drama that treats patients with mental illnesses as, you know, just quirky, funny guys that we should pity or making them scary. I think the directing softened those aspects so that it doesn't seem so stereotypical. And it also portrayed the shift in Daon's emotions and like her experience, you know, coming into the ward as a nurse being very you know, optimistic and cheerful and hardworking and then her experience as a patient herself. The directing, everything handled that deftly. But the winner has to be moving. It has to be moving. You saw the budget in that show. You knew they used their money and they used it well. What is there to say? What is there to say? I think my Beksang bet for best director, it's gotta be moving. Oh, 
I'm gonna gloss over these uh, categories really quickly because there's not much to say. Funniest drama, Dr. Cha. I I enjoyed it. I, I'm really surprised that I enjoyed Dr. Cha. So yeah, funniest drama. Definitely just an easy to root for a female lead who you just wanted her journey to go well. Most tears, uh, the good bad mother obviously cried a lot. Very painful to watch. And especially, Recipe for Farewell. I mean, I've described this several times as uh, a story about grief written from the perspective of someone who's already at the acceptance stage of it. Stories with terminal illness tend to be very, um, to say, emotionally manipulative, where it's just really trying to wring you out with tears. I feel like that's uh, the good bad mother. That's the intention there. But Recipe for Farewell is holding your hand through the process of grieving until you end it with acceptance along with the characters who, you know, were left behind by their loved one. Very beautifully done. If if you can watch it on Vicky, I highly, highly suggest it. It's a simple but deeply painful show. And it's very, very good. Most disappointing. Okay, so I've talked about See You in My 19th Life a bit. You know why that disappointed me. A Time Called You also. I was rooting for A Time Called You. I wanted it to beat the unnecessary remake allegations, you know? And I like John Yobin. I like Anyo Sop. I wanted it to do well. But how many episodes did I last? Three episodes? And there was just, you know, when John Yobin was like sobbing her eyes out, you know, having this big emotional moment, I was cringing. There was something about the script that was just so on the nose about every emotion that even if they are delivering the emotion that is necessary, the fact that they have to say it out loud just made me cringe so bad. I wish I could have gotten further into it to have a better opinion, but... Yeah, if I'm cringing over people having their big emotional moment, that's not good. I want to be, at the very least, empathizing with the character. Because I know what she's been through. I know why she's this sad. But I just couldn't do it. And most recently, welcome to Samdalri. Uh, I don't know. I just came into it with the expectations that, okay, maybe this is going to be the life-changing, thought-provoking drama of the year that will, you know, turn the tides for me. But alas, it was not that. So, you know, it's just expectation versus reality. I wish I didn't expect anything from it. Uh, Maybe I would have continued past episode 2 if I didn't. And given the cast, you know, given Shinye Soon and Ji Chang-wook, who I think are very good actors and are very good with their emotions... I should have not expected anything and just came into it completely blind. But alas, I don't know. Maybe I'll be convinced. Maybe someone can convince me to give it a chance. But I will wait until after it's done. Moving on to my top 15 dramas of the year. I won't say something about each of these, but I'll try to talk a little bit about each of them. So, number 15, we have Salon de Nabi. It's cute, it's slice of life, it's told in a creative way, but not super noteworthy. Number 14, DP2. I don't think I've really gone into detail as to why. It just didn't hit the same as season 1. I think I had problems with the overall story arc and how the new characters were very shallow and not well introduced. And then they jumped back to an individual case that, you know, was completely removed from the big story. And then they went straight back into the big story. Uh, Just 
plot and pacing wise. But once again, Anjun Ho as a character though, his journey was complete by the end of it. Him, I, I really like everything they've done with him from season one to two, but the other characters, not so much. Number 13, Something in the Rain. Hey, I gave it a shot and I liked it more than I expected, but still many, many, many flaws. Number 14, Soundtrack number two. Had low expectations, didn't think I was even going to enjoy any aspect of it, and yet I liked it. Despite the ending that just baffles me and annoys me. Number 11, Recipe for Farewell. I've talked about that enough. Number 10, Dr. Cha. Yeah, it was fun. I rooted for Dr. Cha, and that's it. Number 9, Castaway Diva. I wanted this to be higher, but I kind of knew it was just going to be an average drama anyway. Not Parkerian's worst, but not her best either. Number 8, Dream High. Parkerian's best. <laughs> um, Dream High is so early 2010s that you just have to accept it as it is instead of, you know, thinking that it's so outdated. Yes, yes, it's so outdated. It's a singing and dancing drama with a very unlikable female lead and rough, like bad acting. And yet, and yet, and yet, it's just such a ride from start to finish. And I loved it, okay? You know what? I might switch it around. That might be number seven. I might put The Good Bad Mother down to number eight. The Good Bad Mother was a difficult watch. Once again, countryside drama with annoying villagers. Uh, the emotional core was both, you know, deeply affecting, but also painful to watch. It's just, I'm very conflicted about this show. But the highs were high, the lows were low. And at the very least, it's an acting party. Number six, call it love. Oh, I love this in the first, yeah, first quarter of the year. It brought back the romantic mellow that I haven't seen in a long time. Honestly, I might rewatch this. I do kind of want to, to feel it again. Let me get back to you on that. But I did review Call It Love, so yeah, go check that out. Okay, top five. Number five, Not Others. Uh, another one of those dramas where I'm glad I stuck to it. Because it still wasn't perfect, of course. But I just felt like Unmi, as a flawed human being, deserved to exist. She deserved to be as flawed and immature and everything that she was. She was Carly Rae Jepsen too much.mp3. And yet I just, her as a character, I wanted her to exist. As a symbol of everything that, you know, single mothers and mothers and women in their 40s or whatever think they could never be. Like, I just, her as a symbol, she's an icon to me. And also, I loved Jinhee. I loved Soyoung's character and her relationship with Jaewon. Not perfect, but what I loved, I did love. Okay, now number three and four, I'm thinking of switching these two up. Because at first, I put my dearest at number four and the guest at number three. But, you know, the way I talked about my dearest today, I feel like it should go up to number three. So, number four, the guest. Great horror show. I did not expect to like it at all. More than the horror, more than the plot, and the whodunit of who's the ghost, really. I think it was the emotional core of these three, you know, children who lost everything in one go and grew up damaged and found each other and helped each other, you know, resolve all their traumas somehow and protect each other. I think that emotional core was so, so, so good and it made the horror worth sitting through. And then number three, my dearest, it was epic. It was one of the event dramas of the year. Like, you had to be there. First half was much better than the second half. Like, once again, by the second half, it had overstayed its welcome. I was done with it. But when it was great, it was so great. And once again, I think Jang Yun and Gilche had uh, such great character arcs. 
even in the parts where I didn't care too much anymore, I just wanted to get to the end, I still believe like as a whole, their characters went through so much and developed so beautifully. Ending was kind of eh, but I mean, they didn't die. And at the very least, that made some of it worth it. Number two, Daily Dose of Sunshine. This one won't move. It was just very close to my heart. Like once again, personal investment about psychology and mental health and mental illnesses, of course. And just the way it handled things, the way it didn't go in all the stereotypical directions. And even when it touched on those stereotypical depictions, it was intentional, I think. It wasn't uh, feeding into the stereotypes. The message is so good. The execution, for me, really well done. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Number one is moving. We all know it. Although, let me say this. I remember tweeting that, oh, finally, I found a 10 out of 10 drama. But I decided to bump it down to 9. I decided that my roof would be 9 for most dramas. Uh, and if I rewatch them, then they can get a 9.5. Then they can maybe get a 10. Because I think the rewatch experience is very important for me personally. To decide if it's like a momentary, you know, enjoyment. Or if this is really, there was a me before and after this drama. That's how I would describe a 10 out of 10 drama, right? There was a me before and after this. And so far, I haven't rewatched Moving. So I don't know if it will meet that criteria. But really, Moving pushed the genre. I think we all had an idea of what a superhero, you know, K-drama would look like and how it would deal with things. And instead, yeah, they have superpowers, but it's really about family, about protecting the people who matter to you. That is the core of it over and over and over again in every person, every character, every relationship, every family, just protecting the people you love. None of the superpowers actually matter or, you know, some lofty goal. No, it's just protecting the people you love. And how often do we get superhero shows that are like that? Moving is definitely number one drama of the year. Now that we've mentioned the rating system, the 10 out of 10s and the 9.5s, what are my all-time faves? There was really nothing from this year that got added onto my all-time faves. I'd say One Spring Night kind of got bumped up to a 9.5, remember? And yeah, that's the only new addition to my all-time favorite K-dramas list. So number 8 is One Spring Night which I've watched three times and I'm sorry, I just love it. I reviewed it. Go listen to that. I just keep loving it every time I watch it. So, yeah. Number seven, Dr. Romantic 2. Oh, I forgot to add Dr. Romantic 3 in my most disappointing uh, K-dramas list. But yeah, season three was so disappointing. I'm so mad at it. But hey, at least Dr. Romantic 2 will always remain to be one of my favorite dramas of all time. I can probably still rewatch it and feel the thrill and the excitement for these new characters and their internal journeys that I love so much. Number six, live. I haven't watched it in so long. And you know what? A few times I was tempted <laughs> to pick it up again. I think they took it off Netflix already. The directing, the music of this show, just the vibe of everything will live with me forever. Number five, Dear My Friends. Another No Hikyong masterpiece. The No Hikyong masterpiece, actually. Although, you know what? Our blues, one of these <laughs> days or months, I will rewatch that with a clear mind to give it a better shot. But yeah, Dear My Friends is Nohikyung's masterpiece to me. And yeah, nothing to be said. 
Number four, Idol the Coup. <laughs> Not so much a masterpiece, but just special in my heart for the experience it gave me, the enjoyment I had, the roller coaster ride. Sometimes shows don't need to be perfect to be loved. And also now that I'm back in K-pop, oh, <laughs> well, I'm not standing a Nugu group in the middle of this bandment or anything. I'm done with that lifestyle, thankfully. But uh, K-pop. Anyway, <laughs> number three all-time favorite is my Mr. Um, Airs in Peace. Life-changing drama, life-changing performance. Uh, that's all I can say. Number two, all-time favorite, Missing. You know it. Missing will always live forever in my heart. And you know what else will live forever in my heart? <laughs> um, my liberation notes. Obviously, my number one drama. After... MLN changed my life. I did not need any more life-changing dramas for a long time. I think that's why instead of getting brain rot on K-drama, I got brain rot on K-pop. <laughs> Because I didn't need something life-changing. I just needed fun. And instead of fun, I got even more emotional damage. <laughs> my liberation notes, there was a me before this drama and a me after it. And honestly, though, I'm thinking about rewatching it. I think I'm gonna need it in the coming months. You know what's up. And, well, it will always be there with all its lessons and musings that somehow, some way is connected to whatever anyone is ever going through at any period of time. You know, if you watch it, it will change your life. Son Sokku himself said that. <laughs> So that's it for me today, and that's it for our 2023 year and awards. I mentioned that I'm disappointed in 2023 dramas. I mean, of course, some were good. There always will be some good dramas out there. Um, but, you know, in general, like, I think we've just reached a saturation point that for me as a consumer is too much. And, you know, not just yeah the state of all these K-dramas, but also me personally. It's just getting harder and harder to watch consistently and hold on to shows if they're not, you know, completely piquing my interest. Like, once again, my drama tracker is uh, an example of survivorship bias, where you think I'm watching only good dramas. That's because I drop so many and anything that manages to survive would probably be a 7.5 above anyway. So yeah, knowing, you know, my watching habits recently and honestly, like, my lack of interest in what's out right now and what's coming soon, I do foresee, you know, slowing down significantly in watching and also slowing down in the updates of the podcast. So let's play it by ear. Let's see if something piques my interest enough to make me hop on here and talk about it. Then yeah. But in general, I yeah I do foresee a bit of a slowdown in uh, podcast episodes and all that for the next year. But trust me, guys, when Queen of Tears comes out, finally, when it finally comes out, you will be hearing from me. You will know that I am watching Kim Ji Won and Kim Soo Hyun's drama. Okay, guys, I'm I'm. That's the only thing. That's the only thing I have listed down as like something I'm excited for in 2024. Which sucks because I really don't know what's coming out anymore. But hey, Queen of Tears, 
we are there and we are seated already. But yeah, that's it for me today. That's it for 2023. And may 2024 be better for all of us. Not just in terms of K-dramas, but also, you know, in terms of life in general. That's it for me today. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you soon.